welcome to another episode of the Negative Positives Podcast. And now, coming to you live out of the Gutter Man Cave in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. He likes his bourbon almost as much as he likes his Pentax. It's your host, Mike Gutterman. Hello and welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 262. I'm your host, Mike Gutterman, coming to you from the Gutterman Cave on a Friday morning for the Friday morning episode. And uh, this was supposed to be Andre's episode, uh, but... He got really busy with work at Cinestill this week. They're still in the process of moving stuff. So I'm uh, just kind of bailing him out and helping him out here and taking over the, the Friday morning show for you. So you got me again. Uh, just want to dive into some emails. I'm going to try to make this a short episode so I can get this edited and posted before I have to go to bed here. So uh, uh, let's get into some emails here. Uh, the first one's from Gregory Parker. And he says, hi, Mike and Andre. Uh, I wonder if you could dive deeper into printing on a show. I would love to hear more about the papers you use and the cost of it. I really liked my crushed blacks, my crushed black blacks, and I'm concerned with the blacks having a blue or magenta color cast. I'm really interested in this as I want to make zines of our family events and share them with the family, but commercial zine printing is more than I can afford to do for multiple people. I have currently just shared PDF zines. I think it would be cool to bring printed zines of the last event to the current and share while together in hand and not on a screen. Question for any and all, how do you stay motivated to shoot? I have hit a point where I've ran out of cool things to shoot and having trouble coming up with a place to start. I don't know how many more pictures I can take of this tiny lake near me. <laughs> Laugh out loud. I love the podcast. The guests are great and the roundtable discussions are amazing and could go on all day for me. <laughs> well, sometimes they do. It's not like you guys need sleep. <laughs> Uh, when the NPP drops its fir- drops, it's the first thing I listen to. Thank you all for everything. Uh, thank you all for everything you do for the community, Greg Parker. Well, well, thank you, Greg. Uh, you know we've talked a lot about printing on the uh, on the show lately. Uh, I used to print with a Kodak Easy Share like pigment uh, ink printer. They're kind of the claim to fame with those was uh, you know. Uh, prints that would last like 200 years actually had been fade tested for that uh, it was amazing little printers and, the, and Kodak's claim to fame when they entered the inkjet game uh, was that the car- ink cartridges were going to be cheaper much cheaper than the other brands and they were and it was fantastic results they used to get out of those things but uh, I had several of those printers and they're all kind of at the end of their life and so I had to move on and find another printing thing because Kodak no longer made those printers anymore even though you can still get ink cartridges for them at like Walmarts and stuff like that uh, and online and all that stuff but uh, it was a great little printing system I probably did it almost gosh eight years of those things probably uh, but now I had to move on to a different system and that's when I found the HP instant ink thing which has been working just fine for me and you know we've talked about that uh, till we're blue in the face but uh, really enjoying that it's very uh, it's even cheaper printing than the Kodak uh, was for me so uh, I'm having a having a good time with that as far as papers uh, you know I've mentioned that several times uh, HP papers I, I use quite a bit of a lot of it's the advanced photo paper they have. Uh, I find that works really great for color. And uh, and Kodak uh, Metallic, Professional Inkjet Metallic, looks really awesome with color photos on the um, HP printer. As far as black and whites, yeah, I'm sure it's not going to outperform some of the more pro model Canon and Epson uh, printers with about 50 billion cartridges and cost $300 to fill all the ink up in the thing. <laughs> but I find it does quite well on black and whites. And... It, 
different papers seem to really help there. Again, I, I use the Kodak Professional Inkjet Luster paper I found works a little better with black and white than the HP papers do for whatever reason. And then, uh, so that's just kind of what I'm gonna do. I wanna experiment more and get some different papers. Uh, I think Andre mentioned trying some trial packs from like, I think Moab, I think is an, a company that makes really good papers. Uh, and so they have some sample packs and one of these days I'm going to buy me a sample pack and see if it maybe outperforms the Kodak paper for black and white particularly uh, uh, for my inkjet printing needs uh, as far as cost uh, the, the HP papers are pretty inexpensive the Kodak professional papers I've been getting that from B&H or sometimes on eBay even and uh, getting you know probably I don't know 50 sheets for 20 something dollars something like that so about 50 cents a sheet is about what I've been paying. Uh, but recently, a couple months ago, I found an even better deal where I'm buying like uh, the Kodak Pro Luster inkjet paper in like a big, I think it's a 50 foot roll of it or something like that, or maybe it's a hundred foot. I can't remember how many feet it is, but let me see, I got the box right here. Hold on. Um, oh, it's a hundred foot, hundred foot roll of uh, paper. and. Uh, so and it's a little larger than letter size, which is what the HP uh, inkjet printers use. Uh, so I take this roll and I take my straight edge and mark out eight and a half by eleven sheets, and just use scissors and cut out eight and a half by eleven sheets, and I get a ton of paper for super cheap. And I've been buying like this on this. I bought this roll on eBay for real cheap, and so it's even probably less, way less than fifty cents a sheet. I'm probably like down to five to ten cents uh, a sheet when I do it this way. Uh, so I found another even cheaper way to kind of get my paper needs met. Just re requires me to do a little bit of cutting, and you know the cutting doesn't even have to be that that exact. Just has to fit in the printer because all my prints are going to go behind a mat and a frame. Uh, so I'm not really too concerned if the the cutting is not perfectly straight on the edges as long as it fits in the printer you know what I'm saying <laughs> so I've, another cheap way I found on the papers uh, as far as uh, making zines I did make my first zine entirely on the HP printer uh, and it, it, it came out okay I mean and I didn't even use that great a paper I used like HP presentation paper uh, so it was kind of fun to kind of do it all in-house it's a lot of work and it took a lot of time and it took a lot of ink which I wasn't really that concerned about because that's one of the joys of the instant ink program you don't really have to feel guilty about using up their ink <laughs> but uh, it was a lot of work and you know there are some cheap zine printing options out there now that we've uh, had people talk about on the show like what Dan Novak uses I can't remember the name of the company again but uh, uh, the episode where we had Dan Novak on he talks about the company that he used for uses for zines and he's getting that company to print zines for and able to sell them for five dollars a pop so they must be pretty inexpensive to uh, go with that company if I wish I could remember the name of it now but if you check the the Dan Novak episode we talk in pretty good detail about that about that company and how he gets his zines printed so that might be another option for you um, and as far as like the the blacks on uh, HP yeah I mean there's I don't really there's not any kind of color cast there that really bothers me uh, I've had no trouble selling these black and white prints no one's like oh why does this black and white look purplish or I don't really see that a whole lot um, it, now granted sometimes uh, it looks a little bit different than, than some of the lab prints uh, I have a a video I put up on uh, the Facebook group, a face cast where I compared uh, lab prints, black and white lab prints from mpix.com uh, versus my HP prints. And they're pretty comparable. The color's slightly different between the two, the, the way the blacks, uh, black and whites looked. There's a slight tint difference between the two. And it'd just be a matter of preference, really, which one you prefer, because both of them, uh, I think, look fine. They just have a slight different cast to them. 
uh, but both of them, uh, I like. I like really kind of like both like results out of both those uh, the the prints from Mpix and also uh, uh, the HP. So, and uh, yeah, how to stay motivated to shoot? Well, I think the reason I can stay motivated is I just don't. I'm not getting enough time to shoot. <laughs> so when I do get out, I'm just happy to be out shooting. Uh, it is tough. I mean, uh, I, I sometimes feel like I. I a lot of times go to the same places in Louisville and kind of overshoot the same areas because they're convenient to me and uh, I need to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. I've been wanting to kind of plan some more like weekend trips, day trips uh, with the family to kind of get me into some areas a little outside my area to try to, you know, rejuvenate uh, some of my photography, give me a little more inspiration than what I'm kind of used to shooting in my area. And there's also a lot, I mean, I live in a pretty big city, so there's there's a lot of areas of this town I still haven't really went out with a camera. So, I mean, I've covered a lot of it, but there's always areas I haven't hit yet. So uh, maybe it just be a matter of kind of getting yourself in a different area, take a little day trip somewhere, and that might help a little bit. Because I know if you just kind of stick to your area or if you live in a small town, I can see where that would, uh, that could be um, kind of hard to stay motivated. But anyway i i hope this kind of helps you out greg and that's that's actually a subject i maybe i'll use that for a round table at some point uh how to stay motivated with uh and how if you're kind of finding yourself overshoot uh certain areas that might be a good round table discussion but uh but thank you greg for the compliments and for the email and if you have any more questions just hit me up or, or whatever and we'll try to address it either on the show or i'll address it personally so uh, but good luck with your printing adventures and and your motivation so Okay, and next up we have, let's see here, oh, Chris uh, Marinari. He hits me up and says, uh, hey, Mike, hope you're enjoying the Labor Day weekend. I did. Uh, way back in January, at the end of a very long email, I mentioned that I was interested in buying your album. I would like to still, uh, I'd still like to add it to my collection. If you'd be willing to ship one to me, maybe with some stickers, let me know. I'd be happy to PayPal you or whatever works best. Cheers, Chris. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, and that got me thinking. I do have a couple of extra copies of Sea uh, Hero's vinyl record. So you've heard Sea Hero a lot on this, uh, in, the, in the breaks and the backgrounds of, uh, of this show. Uh, it's kind of my instrumental band that I'm probably I'm very proud of. Uh, I have a couple of extra copies here at the house, and my bass player has the rest of them at his house. And so I need to see how many he has. And I need to buy some vinyl record like shipping boxes so maybe i'll look into that and get me some shipping boxes and then if any of you guys uh are interested in getting a sea hero vinyl uh maybe we can work it out but uh let me look into this and uh see what these vinyl shipping boxes are going to cost me and and how many i need to buy and then uh so you know if you're interested in getting a a, a vinyl sea hero vinyl record I'll be glad to sell you one. <laughs> I just got to figure out how many we have left and how many boxes I need to buy. So uh, if you're kind of interested, maybe hit me up uh, through a, a, you know, a direct message or something on Facebook or Instagram and, or an email at negpositives at gmail.com. And I can uh, kind of get an idea how many people might want one and, and how many boxes I need to buy. So just uh, I appreciate that, Chris. Yeah, it's very cool that somebody wants to buy one of our one of our albums. So we, we should have plenty left. We uh, we broke up the the day we released the album. So <laughs> so we played our last show at our album release party. So but uh, okay, very cool, very cool. And let's see. I think that's it for the the emails. So let's uh, let's take a break here, and I'll come back with a call in camera review. So we'll be right back, folks.
All right, folks, we're back from the break, and we have next up a Colin camera review from Jason Konopinski. And this one's going to be about the Kodak Retina 1A. And uh, I actually received a beautiful Kodak Retina 2C from none other than Roxana Angles, who was on the uh, the uh, Monday night recording. I hope you guys enjoyed that show. Very, very, always very fun to have Roxana on the show. And I've uh, really, really enjoyed it. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did uh, having her on the show. So, But she sent me a lovely Kodak Retina 2C, and it's kind of... It's in my queue of cameras I need to shoot very soon because it's beautiful, beautiful little cameras, man. Like German-made uh, uh, Kodak cameras, very high quality, and I uh, can't wait to uh, get this thing out and, and shoot it. But let's hear what Jason has to say about the Kodak Retina 1A. Hey, Mike and Andre. It's Jason Konopinski with a very, very long overview, call-in call camera review. And the camera that I'm actually reviewing today is the Kodak 1A. It's a 1950s folding style camera, um, first introduced in 1951, January of 1951, as a revision to the Kodak Retina 1A. And its main new feature was the addition of a rapid winding lever. Previous to that, as some of the older 1950s, even some of the rangefinder models had, the film advance was a, um, a twist knob as opposed to the, the rapid film lever that most of us are familiar with with cameras today. The cameras of this series um, just have a optical viewfinder and no rangefinder. Um, so the on the lens itself, um, there were three different variations. Well, let me take that back. Well, from nine from January to May of 1951, the camera was fitted with a Comper Rapid shutter and coupled with a Retina Zenar 50 millimeter 3.5 lens. And then um, in May of 1951, excuse me, June of 1951, until um, the end of production uh, in April of 1954, they changed the shutter. So the, change, the shutter changed from the Synchro Comper, um, excuse me, Synchro Rapid shutter to the Synchro Comper, which had a uh, manual and electronic flash sync. Um, and the three lens variations were available at that time were the Schneider Kreuznach Retina Zenar 50mm f2.8 with the Synchro Comper, the Rodenstock Heligon 50mm 3.5, and then finally a Kodak Ektar 50mm 3.5. You know, this is a really beautiful camera. I picked this particular copy up um, from, uh, I think I may have found it in a Goodwill or a, a charity shop or something similar. And at the time, I think I paid about $20 for it. Um, part of the reason that it was so inexpensive is that the shutter mechanism actually wasn't working, or the shutter release button on the top plate of the camera was mi missing the actual piston. Um, and so I took it down to my buddy Chris at the Camera Center of York, who I've spoken about a couple of times on the in the Facebook group and, and in emails and, and such, and really kind of talked about um, he actually was able to machine a, a, a shutter release button for me for really inexpensively, so put this camera back into action. Um, as I mentioned at the start of this review, there is no rangefinder. Um, it's just a very simple viewfinder when you're positioned directly over the lens at a 50 millimeter focal length. And so the challenge for some people in utilizing this camera is um, being able to accurately measure distance from the film plane um, to the subject or subject to the film plane, whichever you want to think about that. 
Um, and but it does have a, a, a nice scale, uh, a depth of field scale actually on the lens. And as often the case for me when I'm shooting this camera, I'm shooting it at about f8, um, which for this particular lens, the 50 millimeter focal length, gives me about six to little over 12 feet of acceptable focus. You know, you know, certainly if you're if you're looking to uh, you know, real close up, um, do the Matt Jones trick and, and, and take a uh, tape measure out with you to really accurately measure that. But for most of the compositions that I utilize for this camera, it's um, F8, F8 and be there. Um, the few other things to mention about this camera, um, it's actually had a really interesting thing. So this was the, because this film, uh, this camera was introduced in the 1950s, it was a time when, you know, Kodak was really pushing hard on the, the, the Kodak brand's films. Um, and so they didn't have proprietary formats. However, one feature on the top plate of the camera on the film rewind knob is a reminder setting for various Kodak films, um, ranging from Kodachrome A, Kodachrome Daylight, Pan X, Plus X, Super Double X, actually had it on a marker also for infrared and does have um, an infrared focusing um, adjustment on the lens itself. And uh, let's see what else. Um, so I'm walking through this camera. Um, does have a PC sync. Um, so that you can actually utilize the electronic flash. It does have a cold shoe, so no hot shoe, um, hence the reason for the PC port, and does take a uh, shutter release if you wanted to utilize it in that particular way um, because the, the shutter release mechanism on the top plate of the camera is just a simple button. There's no threaded, um, threaded release button to utilize for a, a, a cable release. Standard quarter 20... Um, tripod socket is actually located on the right side of the camera if you're looking at the top plate. And uh, what's actually really interesting, and this was from a time when um, there is a... So to be able to advance the, the, the frame, the, the film advance lever um, does recock the shutter. However, right below the shutter release button, if you're looking at the top plate of the camera, it's a small button, and when you depress that, you can actually advance the film without taking an exposure. So it's not a, um, a double exposure protection mechanism, it's actually a zero exposure advance. So you would have utilized that, um, that function if you were shooting short rolls and to be able to change rolls um, from say color to black and white or various film stocks to do a zero advance and, and retract um, the, the film all the way and then and be able to, uh, to, to spool something else in. Um, interesting, there is the manual uh, film counter. When you, when you load it, it actually would have had 36 exposures or 20. So this was at a time when uh, 24 exposure rolls weren't yet a thing. Um, don't actually utilize this because most of the time I'm bulk rolling at 24 exposures anyhow. And so uh, ha understanding the exact number of exposures that remain on my roll is kind of unimportant to me. Um, really wide range of, uh, of focusing distance. Minimum, minimum focusing distance on this lens is three and a half feet. Goes all the way to infinity. And uh, to close the camera, you actually t set it to infinity and to be able to release it and, and um, fold it flat. 
it's actually a really ingenious design. Um, would have been, you know, certainly a popular camera. And I suspect that a camera like this um, was really designed for family use. Uh, 50 millimeter focal length, kind of everyday uh, focal length usage. Um, and uh, just did some re initial research as I was uh, putting together my notes for this review. And um, at the time of its release, it was a, it was not an inexpensive camera. It was set at five hundred dollars. Um, you know, not a not a, an inexpensive piece of kit. So certainly would have been considered um, you know a high end uh, folder. Um, and certainly, you know, the fact that it was made in Germany for the Kodak company is a testament to. Uh, you know, it's a really beautiful, well-built machine. It's heavy in the hand, and uh, I enjoy shooting a lot. So if you find yourself looking for them, they're, uh, they are available, usually pretty inexpensively, anywhere from, say, $50 to $100. Um, if, uh, you know, if it's, you're using a, a camera like this as your primary user, you might want to reconsider it uh, for two reasons. One, no light meter. Um, which for most of us, you know, either we, we, we trust the latitude in the film that we shoot from experience and be able to make those exposures in that way or carry a handheld light meter. Um, and the second one is that there is no rangefinder. So if close-up work is something that you're interested in utilizing with this camera, you might want to try to pick up a uh, external rangefinder um, to be able to accurately translate those distances onto the lens itself. So, and anyway, hope you all having a great week and uh, catch you on the Facebook group soon. See ya. Well, thank you, Jason Konopinski, for the review of the, the calling camera review of the Kodak Retina 1A. And if you want to send in a calling camera review or anything you want to talk about in the world, in your world of film photography, uh, please uh, go ahead and send that in. We've got three or four, maybe four four or five, I don't know, uh, call-ins left to get through, but we're always looking to, to get more of them. Uh, just grab your smarty phone, talk into it with the voice recording app on your smarty phone, and then uh, you can send the file to negpositives at gmail.com, and we'll put it in the queue to get you on the air in this, in this really weird podcast. So, uh, but we always appreciate getting those, and uh, thanks again to Jason. So, okay, we're going to take one last break, and I'm going to talk about something really cool that I got in the mail this week. So uh, we'll be right back, folks. folks we're back for the final segment and i've got a really cool uh zine in the mail uh this week from none other uh than ben mills and uh he sends a little letter um with a nice little hip shoot film letterhead because that is his uh kind of instagram instagram flicker you find him everywhere under hip shoot film but he says mike thanks for everything you do for the film community uh through the medium of recording yourself getting drunk <laughs> It's Ace. <laughs> Seriously, thanks for building a fun film photography community. Hope you enjoy Ben. Uh, well, I definitely did enjoy this Ben. Uh, he sent a couple, uh, a couple of prints, uh, a black and white print and a color print. Very cool. But the zine is called Four Stops, Volume One. And I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast where he had emailed in about it, uh, where he gets like four different photographers uh, 
around the world to uh, shoot a subject. Uh, four stops, number one is architecture and signage. Uh, and and it's just an awesome scene, man. There's a mix of color and black and white. Uh, I will do a face cast uh, tomorrow morning when I get off work uh, and kind of show you all this zine a little bit through on the Facebook group. So uh, if you are on the Facebook group and you uh, watch my face cast, which I'm not sure many of you do, and I don't blame you, but I will kind of show you off, show off the zine a little bit and the prints that Ben sent me. Uh, but this particular zine uh, has uh, shots from Ben in the UK. He is at Hip Shoot Film on Instagram. Uh, and there's also Carl Bailey. Uh, looks like from Hong Kong. Uh, and he is at Carl Bailey. It is K-A-R-L-B-A-I-L-E-Y uh, on Instagram. And then the other photographers were Josh Lee and Alex. Uh, hope I get this right. Papadopoulos from Australia. And they are at Decaf Photog. Decaf. <laughs> so it's D-E-C-A-F. P-H-O-T-O-G uh, on Instagram. And then the last uh, photographer was Justin Vargas in the USA. And he is at Justin Cases 4C. That is Justin J-U-S-T-I-N-C-A-S-E-S 4C uh, on Instagram. And just so it's really cool ideal, like getting zines uh, like with a subject and getting like four different photographers uh, all, all around the world to kind of shoot uh, according to the subject. I think it's a fantastic ideal. And the zine obviously shows that it, it worked uh, in it worked in flying colors here. So uh, but I will again uh, kind of show this off on the um, on the Facebook group uh, and my, my weekend face cast uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, and actually very nice at the end of the, there's a, a thanks uh, section and he actually uh, mentions M and Sunny 16 podcast, but actually has negative positive podcasts in the thanks section. So very, very cool. Uh, so definitely uh, check this out. Uh, ben Mills is a hip shoot film pretty much everywhere. I think Flickr, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and he also has a website that is uh, www.hipshootfilm.com and I'm guessing that's probably the best way to, to get you a copy of this scene if not just hit up Ben on any of the social media channels under Hip Shoot Film and uh, get you a copy of this thing it's, it's a really awesome ideal and apparently he's kind of taking submissions for the next couple of rounds of this uh, of this this four stops ideal and so maybe uh, if you're interested in participating I'm sure he might be looking for photographers for whatever subjects they're tackling next uh, with this zine series and uh, it's super awesome I hope after I get after my art after I get done with this art show coming up next month uh, maybe I'll have time to figure out what subject he's doing maybe i can join one of these things it looks looks like a really awesome project and the, the i don't know if my photos can match the quality of what's in what's in the scene though but but very very cool uh really really great idea so thank you ben so much for for sending this to me man it's uh very inspiring and just a great idea and and i just uh i really appreciate it so very very cool okay uh i think i'll go ahead and wrap up this episode uh, let's see, you can uh, see my photography on Instagram at Gutterman Photo, on Facebook at Mike Gutterman Photography. You can email this program at negpositives at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, join the Facebook group, the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. And let's see, what else here? Oh, we have an Instagram account under Negative Positives, mostly ran by a friend of the show, Mr. Bryce Randall. If you submit photos to Instagram, think about using the hashtag Negative Positives, and maybe Bryce will find it and highlight it on our Instagram account. So, okay, everybody have a great weekend, and uh, we will talk to you on the Monday night show, which I don't 
actually, I don't have a guest lined up for, so I guess I need to start sending out some messages. So watch your inbox. I might be asking you to come on Monday night because I don't think I have a guest lined up just yet. <laughs> I've been slacking this month a tad, I admit. I usually am kind of a month ahead on getting guests on, so uh, I need to need to find somebody for, for the Monday night recording, I guess. So, Okay, uh, until then, everybody have a great weekend. Everybody stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Gutter Man Cave Production! <laughs> <laughs>